You are listening to a Pleasure Podcast. For more from our Sex Podcast Collective, visit pleasurepodcasts.com. Hello, my friends. Welcome back to American Sex, a podcast dedicated to normalizing conversations about pleasure and alternative sexual expression by challenging those puritanical, backward-ass ideals that we have right here in the United States. This is episode 147 of American Sex Podcast. I'm Sunny Megatron. My co-host is Ken Melvoin-Berg, who will be joining us in the conversation portion of the episode. We're both sexuality educators, pleasure advocates, and kinky perverts, too. And as you'll also hear in our, I guess, playful bickering, we're married, if it's not obvious. Anyway, this week, oh, such an incredibly important conversation. We are talking about abuse in the kink community and in personal relationships with Becca Rose. Becca is a social worker in Chicago. She's passionate about transformative justice and community care. She's finishing her master's degree and is working towards her clinical license as a sex and relationship therapist. Personally, she's been in the kink scene for eight years and openly polyamorous for the past 10. Y'all, I am telling you, this conversation in all caps, seriously, required listening for absolutely everyone. It doesn't matter if you're into kink or not. You know, most of us, we're part of communities, likely multiple different communities, as well as most of us engage in some sort of interpersonal relationship with other human beings. Abuse is possible in any community and any relationship, and yes, even non-romantic ones. So in this conversation, we start out talking about how to address habitual abuse by people within communities, the people that are those missing stairs. Now, if you're not familiar with the missing stair concept, it represents a member of a community that there is a whisper network about. You know, many people know whatever it is about this person, they say, hey, you know, watch out for that person if you're alone with them or yada, yada, I heard or I experienced or whatever, just keep your eye out for them. And they're akin to a missing stair in a staircase. So, you know, if I'm walking up these stairs, I discovered the hard way that there's a stair missing because I fell and I got hurt. So I tell a few friends about this in secret. They tell a few friends and so on and so on. But it's only the people that have been told about that missing stare through that back channel whisper network that know to watch out for it. And those that haven't heard the whispers in the back channel network are in danger of getting hurt because they don't know that that stare is missing and they're just going to go right up or down that flight of stairs. So meanwhile, that missing stare keeps remaining a part of that staircase and hurting people over and over again. So if you hear anyone talking about, you know, they're a missing stare in the community, that's what it refers to. Anyway, during this conversation, we talk about abuse within communities and how as kinksters and people in leadership positions in those communities can integrate transformative justice principles into our spaces to help combat abuse. We also discuss how and when we can make room for people that abuse to change and heal and when that's not appropriate or possible. In the second half of our conversation, we talk about abuse within interpersonal relationships. 
we discuss the difference between a consent violation and a consent miscommunication or failure or accident. Also, why our misconceptions of what an abuser is and how they operate lends to us not being able to spot abuse when it's happening right in front of us or to us. Learn how to spot that subtle abuse and more. Oh, and at the end, we do geek out. We touch on how the vagus nerve relates to sex, kink, trauma, and abuse, too. This is such a good conversation. I cannot wait, but you you know how it goes, right? We got to wash those balls first. It's time to wash these balls, which here on American Sex is housekeeping. So let's get these balls clean. First thing, community. We actually talk in this episode about how it's so important to have community to talk to when you're kinky, even if it's just a friend or two, even if it's an online group to bounce things off of, so they can help you spot red flags and potential abuse. And I've got a community for you. How perfect. Free sex and kink positive discord community at bit.ly slash discord ASP. There we talk about sex, kink, mental health, off topic stuff. You can get advice. You could be like, hey, is this a red flag? People help me. It's really friendly and active community. We'd love for you to join us. And if you miss that link, don't worry. All the links we talk about in this episode will be in the show notes for episode 147 at americansexpodcast.com. Oh, wait, do you hear that music? It's big welcome and heartfelt appreciation time to the new members of our Patreon family. Big, huge welcome and heartfelt appreciation to Rachel for becoming an American Sex Podcast Patreon member. And you too can become an American Sex Patreon member at patreon.com slash American Sex. And I'll send you stuff too. You're going to get bonus stories from our guests. There's one up from Becca now. Uh, extra full length episodes. You get all our regular episodes early. I will send you American Sex Podcast stickers in the mail. You get a shout out on the podcast and other awesome stuff. Ken and I give almost all of our content away for free, which is a lot more than just this podcast, because we think these conversations are important, and they improve the world, they improve relationships, they are just good all around. And it really breaks our heart to see people not have access to these sorts of conversations for financial reasons. So by supporting us, you allow our content to remain free for everyone. And of course, during this fuck ass year where everything's gone to shit. You're actually helping put dinner on our table too. And for that, we thank you. Lastly, if you're into those tabletop role-playing games like Dungeons & Dragons, Pathfinder, Call of Cthulhu, you know Ken's new side gig is running these games online. You can watch him stream on Twitch at twitch.tv slash thunderpantsrpg. One of Ken's specialties is teaching new people how to play these games. So hop on over, watch along, you'll learn a lot, and he might even have some slots open for new gamers, and one of those new gamers might be you. Okay, American fuckers, these balls are clean. See, that was easy. Balls weren't even that dirty this week. Let's talk about identifying and dealing with abuse in kinky communities and relationships with Becca Rose. I I don't know. I usually say that I'm really excited and I am truly, really excited to have this conversation, but it's also a conversation about abuse. So can I be excited about that? I'm not sure. I think we can be excited with whom we are having the conversation yes, without yes. having the subject be particularly, I'm so happy to have this talk, but it's a very needed talk. It is. It is. So hi, Becca. How are you? Hi, Becca. I am well. How are you? Very, very, very good. Um, So 
I'm going to kind of set up this conversation and I have a feeling we're going to go to lots of really um, beneficial places for people listening. So, you know, in, in kink, when people first enter kink, they learn the basics. There's all of these um, like graphics on the internet, the difference between kink and abuse. Kink is consensual. Abuse is not. And, you know, like uh, kink is uncontrolled and chaotic and, or not kink. Uh, abuse is uncontrolled and chaotic and doesn't follow okay, rules. No, I think you had it right. Well, kink, kink is, is chaotic. Is not- <laughs> That's true. But, you uh, know. Hey, hey, Becca Rose, I love your, um, uh, your TikTok channel, man. Like, oh, it's thank the best. You. I just like, I feel yes. like a fanboy for saying it, but like sincerely, good Aww. good content. Oh, thank you. I'm so happy. I'm so glad you like it. That means I'm all a lot. red and embarrassed. So I'm like, I know we're supposed to wait till the end. You sweetheart. are a little. I know. It's like cute. my face is a little it's crimson. Cute. You right just now. turn like, into like a little boy, and you're like, mm. well, like with, when people point to their fingers and go back and forth, that little awkward. I'm just cute. gonna sit here and sit my chai. I, I'm shutting up now. <laughs> well, it's always so nice to hear that from people because like I've been listening to this podcast for at least a year and a half now. So, like, to, like, hear that from someone who I so respect and who, like, I've garnered a lot of, like, information and, like, knowledge from, I'm just like, oh, damn, oh, my. Oh, shut up. We're going to have, like, a moment. A little love fest. Totally, totally. So, all right. Uh, You know, we think we know when we start to learn kink, we think we know the obvious differences between kink and abuse. And we spend a lot of time defending that to vanillas. Like, this is why kink isn't abusive. However, when you look at real world kink relationships or kink community, we're really a mirror of the real world. There's abusive assholes in all shapes and forms. And in my personal opinion, I think kink can be a better cover for Mm -hmm. some of those abusive behaviors um, because they can hide under the framework of kink. And it's hard enough for us to spot abuse in the default world. And when we're operating in, maybe if we're new or new-ish to kink, a new framework, it's really hard for some of us to spot what's abusive and what isn't in kink. So, can I ask one question in particular? And this is something that I've actually had a couple of emails about. Yeah. And it's an act I have done before. And I don't know if this is abusive or not. Mm-hmm. Um, cons- giving somebody consensually a black eye after they have requested it. Is that abuse? I would say no, that it's not abuse. Um, if they're asking for a very specific mark, um, I would not consider that abuse. Okay. If it's a, it was a planned out medical scene what i i fully admit that i've done it but it's something that people have like man that's a little abusive and i'm I'm questioning whether or not it was and i was really not just looking for validation but i think that's a kind of a good starting point for a conversation like this that there's a lot of gray areas yeah totally yeah there is a lot of gray and i also think that's in my opinion i would actually say that that is a misconstrued use of the word abuse Mm. Mm. okay okay so I want to I want to start I want to ease in slow and and we'll get to things like I know like you, you just went, I, I had this whole credit. setup planned and you're like <laughs> we can always slow it down we can slow it down totally. take it easy it back just it up slow. a little bit you know right right we just went from time. zero Sorry. to si- we went from zero to black eye <laughs> anyway um, it's a common problem in podcasters <laughs> but okay so you know I I kind of touched on like the, how one on one abuse can can rear its head in kink. And then we have the whole separate problem of 
abuse in the community, and I see this in, and I'm talking in real life community, mm-hmm. oftentimes it's people that are leaders in the community. They are credentialed. They are, you know, professionally or kink professionally vettable. They've taught classes. And I'm going to come right out and say it. It's almost always, not always, but almost always a cis het male dom who has like the harem of, uh, you know, that usually, mm-hmm. it, it, you know, has a bunch of submissive women around them they end up being abusers they're that missing stare in the community but nobody believes the people that they abused because well they're a prominent pillar in the community so we've got that too so i i think i really really quickly kind of summed up the types of abuse in the community so well i would also i would add a i would add a a third one Mm -hmm. um that is uh like kind of community it, what i call it is community abuse um mm-hmm. or things like social abuse right and what like examples of that would be like the way in which we treat people who are gender non-conforming or trans mm. like these social mm. ideas social gaslighting of your gender you know is invalid and all of those things that is like a larger community abuse like the invalidation of subtypes like brats and princesses or the invalidation of switches or the invalidation of like um males as submissives, right? Or men as submissives. Uh, those things which are held by large groups of people. And because large groups of people hold those beliefs, it becomes abusive towards the other groups who fall out or identify with those terms or identities. Yeah. Thank you for that. Because like, I acknowledge that and see that all the time. And I feel that that invalidation is sort of like a mass gaslighting. And I never really attach the word abuse to it, but you're fucking right on the money. That is abuse. So thank you for that. Yeah. So, okay. Where do we start? Where do you want to start? So much. (laughs) I know there's so much, there's so much to cover. I think the the first thing to do is to kind of like talk about what creates abuse and like what leads to abuse and what it looks like, Mm -hmm. even in a more like vanilla aspect, because that will really teach you what it can look like within the kink world. Mm -hmm. Um, Because I think what a lot of, a lot of people think of abuse or abusers, right? Um, Which I actually, I I will say this, I stay away from the word abuser, right? Mm -hmm. Um, It's a, it's a perpetrator. There's a person who perpetrates abuse, right? I don't Mm -hmm. like labeling someone an abuser because you can heal, you can stop, you can not be one, Mm -hmm. right? Um, So that's just one thing, but uh, how, what abuse looks like, um, and how we oftentimes think about people who perpetrate abuse as these very like sinister, evil people who are like sitting in the corner and like, how can I gaslight these people so that they do what I want? But that's not mm-hmm. really what abuse looks like. Um, it's much more subtle. Quite often people are abusive and they don't even realize that they are, uh-huh. um, And I think it's really important to understand that so you can understand that someone can be abusing you and not even realize that that's what's happening. And that's one of the reasons why there is so much tension and why there can be such a breakdown when we have conversations about what Mm -hmm. abuse looks like. Would it be fair to say that all of us have abused or all of us do abuse, cause harm? Is that a fair statement? Yes, I I would say that that is a very fair statement. I the way that I um say it is that we are all toxic, we are all capable of harm, and at some point we have harmed other people and we have abused other people. 
Mm-hmm. Oftentimes unknowingly. Is there redemption for terrible abusers? And if so, what does that look like? I think that there is. Um, I'm a big uh, advocate for transformative justice. Um, so a lot of that has to do with accountability, confronting the abuse, confronting, owning the fact that you have toxic behaviors um, and that you have harmed other people. Mm-hmm. Um, and then accepting, you know, what are the natural consequences of those, of, of that abuse, mm-hmm. right? Does that mean, you know, do I lose my leadership position if, say, they're in the community? Do I lose this relationship? Do I need to create a new community, a new pool of friends because I hurt one person or other people? Like, what are, what are the actual consequences and how do I, you know, um, and, and taking that responsibility and then also going through the entire process of healing. You mm-hmm. know, you may never regain community, that same community or those same relationships, um, but also learning to heal and so that you no longer hurt other people in the same way. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's hard because all of us, you know, like you said, not all of us realize that we are abusive. Um, and when we hear about, you know, people that are, you know, serial abusers that have a reputation or whatever, we always think we can't be them. So when, when I was hearing you say this, I was like, okay, you know, rehabilitation, da, 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 da. But then I thought, well, there are some people and those are the people that, you know, the greater community might call, you know, you're a narcissist. You're, and I'm not throwing away, you know, diagnoses, but mm-hmm. this is what people say. Like, you're, you're stereotypical narcissists, these horrible people that just won't listen, that just keep doing it again and again and again and again. Are they rehabilitatable? And I, I mean, I, I've seen some that I think probably aren't. Um, and one, what do we do about that? And two... I don't think anyone listening would ever put themselves in that category. They're like, oh, it's the those other assholes that aren't capable of being rehabilitated. That would never be me. And that might be part of the problem. So what do you think of that? Yeah, so um, there has to be a willingness to change on the part of the perpetrator, right? You have to, you got to take your ego out of it. Um, and that's a, that's hard. Ego work is exceedingly hard to do because no one really thinks of themselves as abusive. So when you're brought, when it's brought to your attention that you actually have these behaviors and you do things that go against the core belief of who you are, you're going to have a huge ego response, which is going to be predominantly denial. Um, and you're going to try to protect yourself, right? Mm -hmm. That's what everyone, most people are going to have that. And it can take time to work through that. But if someone is utterly unwilling, if they have been called out, if they have been, if people have been trying to hold them accountable, there are, it is 100% um, valid to remove someone from the community completely Uh and cut off their access. And that is a very natural consequence. If the person is not going to change, they don't deserve to have access to the community. They're going to harm the community. They don't get access to it. And I would hope that at some point the consequences would be big enough that they would look inside and hopefully at some point change the behaviors because nine times out of 10, it is a year long process to actually hold yourself accountable, to make the changes, to do the healing and to act to fully even end or change the toxic abusive behaviors. 
Right. Oh, gosh, yes. Yes. So, all right, I have so many questions. I, I guess th- th- I'll, I'll go to the route of the community. So when we see whether it's an in real life community, whether it's online, I know we're seeing like on TikTok, there's lots of people that are like, hey, that person's bad news, that sort of thing. And everybody has their two cents of how we should handle it. You know, some people mm-hmm. are like, if you have been, you know, a victim or survivor, or whatever verbiage you want to use of this person's abuse, it is your obligation to come forward and da 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 da. And you know, other folks are like, hey, you know, that's personal choice. And then if you know, it gets to the point where a person in a community has been identified as someone who perpetrates habitual abuse. Uh, some people are like, get rid of them. Some people are like, let's help, you know, rehabilitate. And everyone starts fighting amongst each other because we don't know how to handle that. Mm -hmm. So even if we identify someone who is being abusive and we go, hey, you need to work on da-da-da-da-da. And even if they agree, even if we can get them to the point of kind of seeing it, we have the shit show of, you know, like (laughs) everybody's two cents. How do we fix that as a, as a more cohesive community? So I think there are, there are two ways that I would say that it should happen. I think the first is um, very much like having um, a preventative standpoint, which I know is difficult, but when you see red flags, call out red flags, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And just own that there it's, it's a calling out of a red flag. It's not a condemnation of a person. And quite often that reveals who abusers are. And if you have a zero tolerance policy, then that means that those people have to move on much faster. And it's hard to get an agreement, you know, within a community on those things. It can be, mm-hmm. but if a community really takes a zero uh, tolerance policy, that is a huge step in the right direction. The other thing is, you know, when I come from the transformative justice space, um, it's quite often having, you know, an accountability team, mm-hmm. right? Um, and to be survivor centered. So the first thing is I don't use the word victim. I use survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, and in transformative justice circles, um, you use, you know, survivor based language, empowerment based language. Mm-hmm. So I always use the word survivor. Um, it's survivor centered. It does not mean that the survivor gets to dictate what happens, but it centers their healing and their safety, first Uh. and foremost. So if a survivor does not feel comfortable naming their abuser or even showing their face, they may name their abuser but not want it to be that known that they are the ones naming it, that needs to be the first and foremost uh, idea. Like That needs to be central in how a community handles abusive situations or somebody who is a serial who has, you know, serial abuse. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the other thing that I really recommend is, and it costs money, but um, is hiring an outside source to help with accountability. Mm. There are organizations, there are transformative justice organizations. It is very hard for a very insular community like the kink community to be able to in a very unbiased way, hold someone accountable. Right. And it creates a lot of fighting and it can really, really damage relationships. And I will say that like the transformative process is difficult. It is painful and it takes time. Um, But it, I often say having someone come in from the outside who is not a part of that community really helps um, 
because it takes a, it's an unbiased opinion, right? And so people can't accuse them of favoritism or things of that nature. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, th- this is hard work. I've seen this happen in not the kink community, but the greater sex positive community a couple of times where, mm-hmm. you know, the accountability process happened. And I would say, you know, from an observer way on the outside looking in, and I don't know all the details, in one instance, it seemed to be successful. And I've seen other instances just fail spectacularly. And these were with people that do this kind of, you know, restorative justice and accountability work. And I don't know if that was more a matter of the person, the, you know, person perpetrating abuse, uh, just really said they wanted to change. But maybe deep down, it was, you know, kind of like hitting a brick wall. Um, so this is this is hard. And seeing this amongst people who I know, know how to do this. Mm-hmm. I, I'm like, can we really bring this to your, you know, somewhere in Idaho, there's a kink community and <laughs> da, 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 da. are they able to really do even to find the outside people to do this work? And, you know, of course, this work costs money as well. Like, mm-hmm. is that realistic to think that every community can strive to do this? Uh, I may be bringing someone in from the outside um, would be, you know, that will probably be the hardest and the one that right. the thing that's the least accessible, right? Access, uh-huh. like, you know, something that exists doesn't mean it's accessible, right? Right. Um, so the big thing is just if, if a community can come together and have someone who's at least trained, right? Mm-hmm. Um, who's trained in it. Um, and that that is that person's like responsibility that like it's really, I always advocate against having the people who are already in power being the accountability people. Right. Um, because power often leads to abuse of power, right? When people mm-hmm. want to maintain. Um, mm-hmm. And so I think it's possible in places. Uh, the other thing too, though, is like people have to be willing to accept the process and that is difficult. Mm-hmm. Um, that's a huge um, part that's really, really difficult. I think the other part is people will think like, oh, can people be rehabilitated and they can like earn the trust back? That's the wrong way to look at <laughs> transformative justice because just you like somebody who's perpetrated abuse, the consequence may be that you never regain the status you once had in the community. And quite mm-hmm. frankly, you probably shouldn't. Right. Um, and I think that a lot of times perpetrators think that at some point they're going to regain that status and that they should be able to. And mm-hmm. it's like, that's, that's not true. That's not how this works. Cause the truth of the matter is, is you may lose access to the community as part of the restorative process, right? It doesn't mean you actually get to be, stay within the community necessarily. Right. Um, and I think people, t- like, I think people think restorative means like absolution and it doesn't. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I think that's one of the biggest hurdles that people have to over- overcome. It's not absolution. So for for community accountability, and you were saying that, you know, people should be tra- p- properly trained and that sort of thing. For somebody that has or a community that has no connection to this type of thing, mm-hmm. are there books, websites, any resources to even 
even somewhat illuminate a little bit and be an introductory to this type of process, this type of thinking that maybe they could even, you know, take a little from and integrate within their own community without doing a full blown process. Like, where does one go to learn about this? I feel like Ken and I have the privilege of being in these communities where restorative justice is language. Yeah. There are tons of actually free um, resources online. Like there's like a 300 page free manual that I love um, that can actually take, it has like worksheets. I have to look up the name of it. Yeah. Um, and, and for the American fuckers listening along, uh, but uh, if you can get me that, like, I don't know, in the next like few days or something, and I'll put it in the show notes yeah. so they can, they can, and I'll, I'll try to find some resources as well and put whatever I can in the show notes for this episode. So the listeners have them. Yeah. And, and it it's, um, yeah, there are tons of like, there are tons of books, um, written about it. There's tons of free stuff. Um, the organization insight, um, mm-hmm. has amazing resources and have, has published books, um, There's a book that one of my favorite books, it's called Beyond Survival. Um, Mm -hmm. It's an amazing book about the transformative process. It gives it like it even has a a chapter that's like how to have a party that centers transformative justice. Like it literally goes through like how you can host a party that centers transformative justice. Holy moly. Okay, so I'm buying this. And, you know, I it sounds like every leadership, you know, council, whoever in every community should have read this book. Would you agree? Oh, agreed. Yeah, I think if you're in any type of leadership position, you need to be trauma informed, and you need to have transformative justice training and um, community care training. Oh, that's amazing. That is amazing. Super helpful. Yeah. Um, The one thing I do want to say about transformative justice, too, because when you start researching it, what you also have to understand is like transformative justice was created by women of color specifically to have a way to heal their communities and deal with things like um, abuse in their communities without bringing in um, the very, very broken American justice system and without mm. involving things like police. Right. Um, and so a lot of transformative justice information you will see is just very anti-carceral state, which I'm very anti-carceral state. I'm a prison abolitionist, just so people understand where I'm coming from. <laughs> um, so it's important to know that, to understand that. And it's also very, very applicable to other things. And then the other thing is there is a difference between restorative justice and transformative justice. Uh, oh. And people sometimes don't realize that. Uh, and so that's a big thing to understand as well. Is it possible? I know these are big, huge concepts. Is it possible to nutshell the differences so people have just a glimpse of what those are? Yeah, restorative justice now often is more about, um, oh, what's the word? having a brain fog day um, is more about um, reform, like reform the carceral state, reform the prison system, reform the police. Transformative justice very much comes from much more of like an abolitionist perspective. Mm -hmm. Um, It's about we're we're not trying to work with the police state. We're trying to work around it and without Mm. it. And we actually want to create a system and a world that police are basically pointless. um, And that they're not needed. Okay, cool. Thank you. So, all right, I want to, I want to like take it down to individuals. So let's say that one of the American fuckers listening along is, and I'm, I'm going to use like, let's say, let's say I'm a submissive and I have gotten into a relationship with a dominant and I am starting to question, you know, and I see this a lot with new submissives, especially, but 
I'm not going to say only dominance or abusers, and we're going to have that conversation in a minute. Don't, mm-hmm. don't, just you wait. <laughs> um, but this is just one example, just one example. So uh, I, you know, find a dominant, and we're starting to do stuff, and the, the dominant starts, you know, telling me things that are a little questionable, and you know, maybe the stereotypical "you don't need safe words" because I'm experienced, and and just some things are like, you know, starting to pick up the red flags just a little bit. And, you know, maybe that's where I'm at in my relationship, or maybe our relationship has progressed. And, you know, we uh, cohabitate together, and I have found myself personally in an abusive situation. Let's deconstruct what that can look like, um, how we can find ourselves in abusive situations and not fucking realize it. Because I know from personal experience, I've been in abusive situations and been in them for a long time, did not see it. And then one day it smacked me in the head like a two by four. Mm-hmm. Like, don't you see what's happening here? Yeah. Um. So what about for people in those situations? How can they parse out what's going on and then figure out where to go from there? So I think one of the first things is to when you start to question things that are being said to you, like, re- like ask sit down with yourself and ask yourself, like, do I trust myself? Do I trust my perception of the situation? Do I trust my feelings? Do I trust my discomfort? And if the answer is no, you need to go see a therapist. I don't want to say you need to go see a therapist because therapy, I know that therapy is inaccessible to a lot Mm -hmm. of people. So I don't want to say that, but like, that is a sign that you are being abused. If you don't think that you can trust your own perception your own instincts and that your feelings are not trustworthy. That is a telltale sign of abuse. Mm. So if you feel that like that is that, that it pretty much means you are being abused. You're being manipulated in some form, whether it be gaslighting, other forms of manipulate, emotional manipulation. Mm-hmm. Um, so the other thing that I say is how someone handles it being brought up. You know, if you bring it up, Hey, I, I'm not comfortable with us not using safe words. You know, if their response to that is going to be very telling, if they can't respect those boundaries, that is a sign, right? Mm -hmm. The other thing too is how, how are your boundaries being respected? Are they being upheld? Is your partner constantly pushing up against your boundaries? Do you feel like you can't uphold your boundaries? Do you feel, are you afraid to uphold your boundaries because you're afraid that they're going to leave? Mm. If that is what you're feeling, if you feel like you can't uphold your boundaries because your partner will leave you, that is a sign of abuse, right? Yeah. And I think a lot of times people, again, people think of abuse as this very sinister thing. People are trying to manipulate me, right? They're like, they're, they, we believe that abusers are like sadistic, right? People who abuse are sadistic. They get some kind mm-hmm. of joy or pleasure. And oftentimes that's not really the case. Abuse really truly often comes from a place of self-preservation and um, of control. People mm-hmm. are trying to control the relationship. They're trying to keep it. They're trying to fulfill some need that they have. Um, and so understanding that abuse may does not necessarily look calculated is a big will change the way you look at your partner's manipulative behaviors. They may not trying to be, they're not calculating to try and abuse you, but it doesn't mean you're not being abused. They may not intentionally be doing it, but that doesn't mean it's not abuse. 
don't know if you knew this about me, but I am a vitamin taker. And when I'm on my routine, I feel better. I get a little bit more energy, not so tired. But see, that's the problem. Did you hear me say when I'm on my routine? See, I have all these bottles and not such a great memory. And I eventually forget for weeks on end. And then I end up feeling a little draggy, realize, oops, you know, I've forgotten to take my vitamins for forever. And then the vicious cycle starts again. That is, until I discovered Care Of. Figuring out what vitamins and supplements were best for my wellness needs was easy. Care Of's in-depth five-minute online quiz asks you questions about your diet, lifestyle, and health concerns to help address your specific wellness goals. All of Care Of's products are formulated with good-for-you, clean ingredients that are backed by science. Oh, and my favorite part, your recommendations come in daily, individually wrapped packets that are personalized with my name on them. I mean, my name or on mine, your name will be on yours. And that keeps me on my routine. I no longer have to open 8 million bottles every time I want to take my vitamins and supplements. Hey, as the seasons change, it's important to get ahead of taking care of your immune health. It takes about 30 days for your body to adapt to new nutrients. So right now is a great time to update your vitamin and wellness routines to help support your immune system this fall. Seriously, Care Of makes sticking with my routine so easy, and I would love for you to experience it too. For 50% off your first Care Of order, go to Take careof.com and enter the code SUNNY50. That's S-U-N-N-Y 5-0. You heard that right. A whole 50-5-0% off your first care of order at takecareof.com with the code SUNNY50. The holiday season is fast approaching. Do you have someone to play with under the mistletoe? Well, if not, your sex life does not need to suffer. Satisfier creates cutting-edge pleasure products to empower you to stay warm on those cold winter nights. Satisfier goes well beyond traditional vibrators by incorporating air pulse technology. Their air pulse stimulators like the infamous and fabulous Pro 2 excite the clitoris into pure bliss, providing touch-free clitoral massage. The intense pressure waves encourage blood circulation and a sensation similar to the feeling of oral sex. And my new favorite from Satisfier is the Curvy 2. It air pulses, vibrates, and my favorite has Bluetooth controls so I can precision fine tune the pulsing and the vibrating separately for infinite sensation combinations with my smartphone. Or I can grant access to someone else to control it for me no matter where they are in the entire world. Hello, long distance fun, here I come. This holiday season, give yourself or your loved one the gift of satisfaction. Visit satisfier.com. That's S-A-T-I-S-F-Y-E-R.com to find your favorite Satisfier products. Yeah, yeah. And I think that's a hard, I know personally for me, that was a really hard one to wrap my mind around is like, you know, I would always fall into, but they mean well. But I know they're not trying, but I know their motivation, you know, is from 
you know, pure intentions, but that doesn't matter if it's being executed in an abusive way. Um, and I, and I think it's one of those things. It's like, once you see it, you can't stop seeing it and it's everywhere. You know, for a lot of people, once they wake up to abuse, and like for me, once I woke up to abuse, I realized like, oh my God, my mother was abusive my whole life growing up and I didn't see it. And, you know, we can get into all of these reasons as to, you know, all of these past traumas, at least in my personal life, as to Mm -hmm. why that led me to glossing over the abuse and making excuses for it. And I think a lot of us have those same histories of traumas and different things that happen in our lives that led us to where we are now and why maybe we don't want to see that abuse and we don't yeah. want to confront it because it's fucking painful and it's hard. It's you hard. Know? And I also think too that oftentimes people see the abuse, but they have a hard time leaving. Um, yeah. They're like, oh, it's really not that bad. Um, I can get past it. Oh, they're going to change. Because, you know, I was in an abusive relationship where the person, you know, their response to me confronting them was wonderful. It was great. But then they would just do it again. (laughs) Yeah. They never change, right? The And this is a manipulation tactic. The promise of change, but never changing. Because sometimes Mm -hmm. we, we... that's the thing about we it is we want to see the best in the people we love, right? Like, and I'm not just talking about romantic love. Like, you can experience abuse in platonic relationships. You can experience abuse in familial relationships, ones that are simply sexual, ones that are kink-based. Any relationship, you can experience abuse. Uh-huh. Um, and the people that we choose to have in our lives, we want to think are good people, and we want to think the best of them. And so we're going to trust that they're going to change. We're going right. to want to justify their actions. You know, as a person who has a massive savior complex, I will be the first person to own it. I like, <laughs> I'm <laughs> going to sit there and I'm like, you're going to change. You're going to do it. I can do it. Right. Oh. Um, and oftentimes we link our self worth to their change. If yes! we can't, if we oh, can't get yes. our abuser to change, we're not actually as good as we think we are. We're not actually lovable. And that's mm-hmm. what kept me in an abusive relationship for four years. I had so linked my self-worth to the way that person treated me and the possibility of them changing that it kept me there. Right. Um, And the idea that you don't love yourself because you're in an abusive relationship is just bullshit. It's fucking bullshit because I do. I fucking love myself. I loved myself all four years in that relationship. Right. And like, What's funny, too, is sometimes people think, well, I don't put up with bullshit in other relationships, but they have that one relationship where they do put up with bullshit. Mm -hmm. You like you can sometimes you're just it's just that one person and you won't you would never put it up, up with that of all the other people. Don't let that make you think that they're not treating you poorly, that they're not abusing you. Oh, that is so important because I know like for me, I I was in a horrifically abusive relationship for eight years, but in every other respect, it was like, I am, you know, my own woman and self-starter and I have a good job and I'm smart and I'm, Mm -hmm. you know, like I am not the typical person that you would think of as being abused. So I think just that identity and my relationships outside of that one relationship, A, kept me from seeing it, but B, kept other people from seeing it mm-hmm. because it, I didn't seem like somebody who was being abused. Exactly. That yeah. happens quite often. And I, niceness is a lovely cover for abuse. Mm-hmm. 
Um, and people have to understand that nice does not mean good. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. So let's go back mm-hmm. to the black eye. We've come full circle. <laughs> <laughs> We're going to go back to the black eye. Um, you know, we have said in that situation, that's something that was consented to. And I, I know, Ken, you know, like you have a medical background, you very much turn this situation in and out to make sure it was being done safely and consensually and all that. But can somebody consent to being abused? And if so, what are those intricacies and what does that look like? I mean, I would definitely say yes. You you can consent to things that are bad for you. Okay. Right? Um, oftentimes, and it's the thing about how we can, I think this, I don't think the black eye <laughs> was abuse. Um <laughs> But like we oftentimes people stay in abusive relationships um, for for a multitude of reasons. It can be the inability to get out because of financial reasons. Um, It can just it's very difficult to give up relationships to cut people off, you know, especially when we love them. We want to keep giving them second chances. So we keep allowing them back into our lives when we know what they're going to do is cross our boundaries and what we know what they're going to do is abusive. Right. And that is a form of consent. Right. Uh Um, And so, you know, like in my past relationship, like um, there were things that would happen. I'm just going to trigger warning this because I'm going to talk a little bit about sex and like Uh consent violations. Um, you know, I would tell him not to do specific things during sex. Um, mm-hmm. And then he would continue to do them. We were, I was consensually having sex with him, but then he would commit a consent violation into that. Right. Mm-hmm. And I continued to have sex with someone who I knew was going to cross that boundary. Right. I did not, I'm not responsible for that person's actions, but why I had to ask myself the question, why did you continue to sleep with someone who you knew was going to do something that you told them not to? It's not victim blaming. Right. Why, why did I do that? And how can I, how can I better protect myself? How can I better love myself? Right. Cause you can never control how a person treats you. We love to think that we can control that we can, can we can change people. We can make them do things, but at the end of the day, they have to be willing to do it. Yeah. Um, and that's how we, that's honestly how you can consent to things that are bad for you. You're going to, you know that someone's going to treat you badly, but you still, you still go back to that person. You still engage in with them in ways that you know are at the end of the day going to hurt you. Mm-hmm. Yeah. God, this is, this is all so complex. And, you know, as you're talking, I, I'm thinking to myself, as I put the show notes together for this episode, you know, like you said, not everybody has access to therapy and therapy is a fucking privilege. Mm-hmm. Um, so I have some resources for lower cost therapy. I have some resources for lower cost therapy that are specifically for people who are in sex work. I have a few mm-hmm. things. I'll put all of those in the show notes. Um, so people can have a little bit more access. Maybe not, you know, it's still not everyone, sadly. Um, and please, people on TikTok, don't teach people how to give other people black eyes. Like, oh, yeah. not the, <laughs> we are not advocating that. We are not advocating teaching this, especially on TikTok. <laughs> yes. But I do advocate doing black eye scenes in Chicago alleyways, as long as nobody is watching non-consensual. Sure. <laughs> is there inherently anything wrong with that? I, just like, you, you know, I like to push the boundary. I know, I know, I know. <laughs> 
Oh my god. No. Um. So. Oh shit! You just made me lose my train of thought. What was I gonna well, say? Well, the thing Motherfucker. With the, the, well, the thing with the black eye though is like that is technically consenting to something that's bad for you, right? Because like a black eye exactly. is a, it's a damage to the body, right? But right. Th- it's not abuse. <laughs> Right. Like, it's, it's not a toxic behavior. So I'm going to define abuse, what I define as abuse. Thank yes, you. That's yes, what, I was just you. about to um, ask you that because I was going to say the kind of black eyes, the, the level that I'm giving is no worse than what I would do with a flogger, for example. It's the same level of on bruising. And, <laughs> well, it's on the face. It's not a, yeah, with a fist instead yeah. of a flogger, but yeah. Yeah. So, so what's your definition? So what's my definition? definition of abuse, it goes back to all people are toxic and we all do things that harm them. Abuse is when those toxic behaviors become cyclical. Mm. You can have a single, you can have a moment where you're like, you have a toxic behavior, it gets called out, you fix it. That's not, that's not abuse. Okay. If it becomes a repeated action, if it becomes a repeated way of talking to someone or a repeated way in which you engage with people, right? Mm-hmm. Um, or even an, even um, a way in which you engage with yourself. There is self-abuse. You can abuse yourself. Mm. Um, you know, it, it abuse has to be cyclical. Um, you can have a, you know, it's, that's i think that's how that's how i define abuse so what i'm hearing is that once in a why black eye black eye is okay but <laughs> not like an everyday black eye yeah yeah you know. <laughs> so okay that actually makes me think of uh you know verbiage that i hear a lot going around in the kink community there is um you know a consent violation Mm-hmm. versus what some people refer to as a consent accident. Mm-hmm. Um and I'm I'm sort of likening those like Wait, can you say that like I'm I'm losing what, consent what's the violation versus, versus consent accident and it's I didn't really, know there was a consent accident. It's this is really new to me. murky. It's really murky can you like define a, a Yeah, consent? I'm I'm okay. trying to say it right now. <laughs> I just love listening to you two like lightly bicker. I'm just like, it's fun. That's how we. That's our love language. So, so Ken, just now you interrupted me. You didn't do it purposely. You didn't do it maliciously. It didn't cause me like great harm where I have some. But like, you must irrep- pay the rent. Stop. I didn't have a reputable damage. It's not something that's a, well. It is kind of a habitual, but for my example, it's not. And- <laughs> And and you you just accidentally interrupted me all the time. I do that. Yes, it's cyclical. But, but so yeah, <laughs> consent violation is more like you've. It sort of rests on the impact of what you've done. So what you've you've done. Uh, so a, I would actually argue that I'm mentally infirm and not abusive. <laughs> <laughs> so okay. in my own defense, okay. would you agree with that statement? Sure. Okay. Sure. Thank you. I just want, like, want you to know that it isn't intentional and that it is due to mental infirmity in myself, not so, anything inherently that I I'm going to lose my thoughts. I'm, I'm pre-perimenopausal. Let me get it out before it goes away forever. Okay, so... Like so, velociraptors. Josh, your face. Okay, now you're becoming a violator. All right, Ken. Um, no, so why are you so, smiling? Shh, consent violation is one... More uh, rests on the severity of what has happened. So, you know, a sexual assault, a, um, and also a bit of intent. And I'm just saying my definition of what I think it means from people using it. I don't know if there's been a definition written down somewhere. And a consent accident is more like, A, it could be a smaller thing. It could be like, oops, I misunderstood our negotiation and I thought this was okay. And it's not. 
So we're going to stop and we're going to talk about it and we're going to figure it out. And it's, you know, hopefully going to pass or be worked out. Um, have you heard the like people throw around these terms? And is there a real definition? And am I even close? Uh, yeah, I think you're very close. I've heard consent failure. Okay. Um, more than like a consent accident. Um, because a, a consent failure, um, it can happen because someone didn't like explain or communicate their boundaries well enough you know mm-hmm. and it, it basically consent failure is basically it's not a singular person's fault it's right. just kind of that something within the scene or the communication or something failed so right. there someone was triggered or violated mm-hmm. um in a way uh, mm-hmm. but it wasn't that there, there's not no one's really guilty of like a gross misconduct, right? Like a consent violation is gross misconduct. A consent failure is just something that happened that caused a breakdown of like consent within the scene. Right. And and I might point out the obvious failure at society's graphs to get the word consensident. Consent accident. Oh, I like that. (laughs) I thought you were doing like consent citizen. I'm a consensident. Um, and I, I, I think, though, you know, talking about society, we all have our own personal definitions. I've seen situations where, from my interpretation on the outside looking in, and I, of course, I am not the end-all be-all, but from what I can see, there is something that appeared to be more of a consent failure or accident. It was some sort of miscommunication. Um, you know, something wasn't specifically talked about. So there was a misunderstanding. Mm-hmm. And one person, like, let's say the top does something that they consider a consent failure. And the bottom, because maybe the bottom got, you know, PTSD triggered or something, and it mm-hmm. really feels heavy and impactful and traumatic for them, mm-hmm. that bottom takes it more as a consent violation. Mm-hmm. So right there, and I'm not saying one is right or, or the other, but right there, there's a there's a disconnect. Like the, the people aren't meeting. So one person is like, you horrible fucking person, you should have known better. And then the other person is like, holy shit, I am so sorry. I completely misunderstood. Please let's talk about this. And I, you know, and so right there, it doesn't go any further. Mm-hmm. Um, so do you see that? I kind of see that happening a lot. And and what do we do about that? Support for American Sex Podcast comes from Manscaped, who's the best in men's below-the-belt grooming. Manscaped offers precision-engineered tools for your family jewels. Now listen up. Untrimmed pubes are a thing of the past. It's time to gear up and get yourself the gift of shaving this holiday season. And I'm talking about Manscaped's Perfect Package 3.0. Ken loves his Manscaped products, and guess what? His jingle balls have never been smoother. He really appreciates that Manscaped has completely redesigned the electric trimmer. Their Lawnmower 3.0 has proprietary advanced skin-safe technology, so this trimmer won't cut your nuts. It's also waterproof, so you can use it in the shower. The Lawnmower 3.0 comes inside their brand new Perfect Package 3.0, which makes the perfect gift this holiday season. It's literally everything you need to keep trimmed, cut-free, and smelling nice down there. 
The Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0 also includes the Crop Reserver, an anti-chafing ball deodorant and moisturizer, plus the Crop Reviver, which keeps your balls from sweating, smelling, and sticking. Tis the season to manscape, so get yourself, your dad, your brother, your friends, whoever, the best gift of all. The Manscaped Perfect Package 3.0. Your balls are going to thank you. Oh, oh, wait, I got something else for you. 20% off and free shipping with the code SUNNY, S-U-N-N-Y, at manscaped.com. Yep, that's 20% off with free shipping at M-A-N-S-C-A-P-E-D.com with the code SUNNY. Hey, clean up those nuts and make Santa proud this year. Oh, that can that can definitely happen. I think the those are one of those situations where I usually tell people that like to cool down because not I this is my experience with those. 9 times out of 10, the person who was triggered once they're away from that situation, they've been able to calm down, heal, you know, and it can take, you know, two hours it can take two weeks it can take two months maybe two years oftentimes people will look back at those situations and go i see what really happened i actually have gained perspective right Mm -hmm. that doesn't invalidate the feelings of what happened the top's response should be i am so sorry Mm -hmm. i own the fact that you know i fucked up you get to, if you don't ever want to play with me again, that's okay. If you feel violated, that is valid. Like the, the if the top's response is to gaslight, <laughs> bad. Mm. <laughs> because telling them, oh, you're overreacting, that's a horrible response. And I, I get that it's an ego response and they may be trying to protect themselves because they didn't realize. But if your first defense when someone is triggered and feels violated is to defend yourself, that to me is a red flag just in general. Mm-hmm. Um, so it, both of those people need like a lot of this should depend upon the top's response of being like, if you don't want to play with me, that's fine. You get to say what happened. The top is also allowed to be like, I thought it was a miscommunication. If people are uncomfortable with me because of that, that's fine. Like, you know, because that's going to show someone's true character, in my opinion. Yeah, yeah. Thank you for that. So I I did talk about when I was giving my example, like, let's say I'm a submissive and I get with an abusive dom. Uh, But I want to talk about the flip side of that, because that's (laughs) been uh, a little bit of online talk. There was the myth that was floating around that is certainly a myth that submissives can't be abusive. Um, mm-hmm. which is not true. And I think, you know, 99.99% of people in uh, the King community would agree with that. But I think where this comes from is that we are most likely to be able to envision... Is this a real argument? Oh, yeah. yeah. We are most likely... <laughs> let's. We're going to go past that and just talk Mostly about it. Mostly by well, no, users. Yeah. I, I wanna, I'm trying to get caught up to speed here. So they're, yes. say, they're saying that they think that there's any kind of human being, like specifically submissives, and they can't be... Yes, res- yes. And they I, they I can't under- perpetrate abuse in right. a DS dynamic, is what and the I, argument is. Exactly. Okay. And I understand where that like kind of knee-jerk assumption comes from, because when you see the role of a dominant they're the one telling you what to do and blah 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 blah. and so we tend to think of abusers in that larger than life sort of like narcissistic type personality you know ego however um you know there is lots of potential for Mm -hmm. abuse in people that are bottoms or submissives it just i think looks a little different 
Mm-hmm. Um, so h- what does that look like? And how does it happen just as often as the other way around? Do you think like, yeah, I, I think it happens quite evenly. And my thing is, it's like trying to attribute like abusive behaviors predominantly to one role over another is just kind of wild to me. Yeah. yeah. Um, I feel like it also might fall into some weird like gender roley stereotypes uh-huh. um, as well. Like it kind of plays off this very patriarchal idea of DS and DS dynamics, which we all know is bullshit. Uh-huh. Um, a lot. And this is the thing too is, is, and this is not just um, subs. And this in general is just about abuse. 99% of abuse is not these like gratuitous, abusive things right throwing out safe words and all the jazz that's what you hear a lot about they're very obvious forms of abuse most abuse is very subtle it's very mild it's very it's mostly emotional manipulation kind of situations a lot of it comes from invalidation um things that uh oftentimes the person doesn't even realize is abusive Um, Yeah. So like a lot of it you'll see is like, you know, forms of gaslighting. Um, You'll see, uh, you know, submissives can fall into the tendency of like, uh, if you don't give me what I want, I'm not going to engage in this. Like I've seen a lot of it in people like constantly breaking off and getting back into dynamics because Mm -hmm. if they don't get what they want um completely they'll break it off and they'll like and then they'll get back together because eventually the person will give them what they want right right um i see that happen a lot um but i mean in my opinion almost all abuse it doesn't necessarily look the same but it takes the same shape a lot of the most insidious abuse that we see in the scene whether it be from a top bottom dom sub switch whatever role you choose or you identify with almost all of it looks like forms of emotional manipulation, kind of the love bombing aspect, um, the general like misleading or leaving out of information, um, like very minor can not, I don't want to say minor, but like consent violations that at, at at some point uh, add up over time, the dismissal of boundaries. Those are all like very subtle forms of abuse that happened. I, I, um, the way I compare it to is like a little kid, you know, how like you go into like the Chinese buffets and they have mm-hmm. those giant fish tanks, those aquariums. Yes. And they all, they, all of them have a puffer fish. I don't know why, yeah. but all of them have a puffer fish. Mm-hmm. It's like the little kid who goes up to the aquarium and taps on the glass because he wants to see the puffer fish explode. The kid doesn't necessarily realize that what he's doing is actually exceedingly harmful to the puffer fish. Right. Oh. But once that kid knows that what they're doing is harmful, they have to stop. When a person becomes an insidious abuser is when they know that it causes harm, but they continue to do it. Ah, I was I was thinking non-consensual brat play the entire time you were talking about. That. Yeah, yeah. Also, also, do these people think switches are only responsible 50% of the time? I <laughs> yes. Well, and like, so I'll give an example of something that happened with me where like, um, I, this wasn't abusive, but I have a very, very easily triggered fight response. Uh-huh. Um, I have a whole series about uh, the fight, flight, or freeze and fawn response mm-hmm. um, on my TikTok if people want to look at it. Um, but basically, there was one time I was playing with um, a, 
a play partner. We call him Mr. Sadist. And <laughs> I was on the floor and he was on top of me, like punching me. Um, and at w- completely and utterly unknown to me, I had a fight response triggered and I came to and my knees were, my feet were on his chest and I was getting ready to push him off of me. Wow. And he like, he looked at me and he went, what are you doing? And I was just like, oh my God, I am so sorry. Like, I was like, I didn't even know that I was doing that. Like, I literally had no control over it. It just happened. And so he was like, we we paused in the scene and we talked about it. But like, those are things that often happen um, in scenes that, you know, that's what I would call a consent accident, a consent failure, right? Like, it was very unintentional. Yeah, (laughs) consent accident. But like, that's a great example of things that happen. Now, if I had just blown him off and I was like, oh, fuck you. Like, you're a top. You're like a 250 pound, six foot tall dude. You can take it. That would have been a very toxic thing for me to do. Yeah. But that's not what happened. We paused the scene. I was like, maybe tie up my legs. And he was like, great, I'll do that. (laughs) And we kept playing. Um, So a lot of it is about like response and owning the fact that you're going to fuck up. Yeah, you're going to have you're going to have a fight flight or like I also have the argument that like what we're actually doing when we engage in scenes is we're playing with fight flight or freeze sensation. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Um, And like I know you're super into polyvagal theory. I have like a whole thing of polyvagal theory (laughs) and why it's sub drop and blah, 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 blah. Mm -hmm. Um, (laughs) But like um, like those are just really important things to know and are huge aspects of. Um, informed consent and informed play that we often just don't know and cause a lot of toxicity in the scene because we're just ill-informed. Ah, uh, yes. Can either of you give a nutshell definition of polyvagal theory, please? Would you like to? Oh my oh. gosh. <laughs> it's like so complicated. I mean, basically it's about the vagus. We have the vagus nerve. Um, oof, I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, Oh my gosh, my brain just went 15 different places. I had an ADD response. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but a lot of it is about um because i'm also trying to reinform because i'm coming at it from a mental health perspective right now because oh yeah okay. nine times out of ten that's how i apply it because yeah. you know a lot of polyvagal theories about getting stuck in the freeze mode and the, mm-hmm. the physical effects it has on your body and like the damaging effects it has but a lot of it is about when you come out of it you re-go through all your fight flight or freeze symptoms right um and knowing how those things get triggered and how to work through them. I don't, maybe yeah. you can expand upon it, Sunny. Yeah. I mean, you know, I, I would, <clears throat> I guess to really simple, cause I've never like had to simplify it in a couple sentences, but the vagus <laughs> nerve is a nerve that runs through your entire body and it is connected to pretty much freaking everything. And it's also connected, like you said, um, you know, oftentimes when we, are uh afraid and we get sick to the your stomach or we have these very physical reactions to emotional things that is connected to the vagus nerve and and as becca said our our fight flight freeze fawn responses are also connected that's all connected you know in a if you look at things and i look at through this through a kink lens in a somatic respect and you mm-hmm. look at our 
you know, parasympathetic and sympathetic nervous system responses and how that's connected to our emotions and that whole holistic view. The vagus nerve is kind of the the thread that holds it all together. With the, does that did I do an okay job? Yeah, yeah. Because okay, the, yeah. Because I'm pretty sure the vagus nerves is it. Because I always have to double check myself because I always mix up like our. <laughs> like um because it's very connected to like our digestive system mm-hmm. um and our heart rate it, basically everything that we don't um purposefully control that's what like our vagus nerve does so it makes it's, it's the thing totally that will make chakras us, it is chakras yeah it's the thing that'll make us flush <laughs> it's the thing that'll make you know um our digestion slow down it's the thing that either increases or decreases our heart rate it will increase our breath or you know make our breaths more shallow um, mm-hmm. So it's it's basically that can be all of those things are triggered by an emotional response. Like there is there is no emotional response that doesn't have a physical trigger and vice versa. And you yeah. can play with your, you know, the vagus nerve. You can either induce an emotional response by something you do physically or vice versa. You can induce a physical response by something you do emotionally. Mm-hmm. And like little vagus nerve tidbits, like bringing it back to sex, the vagus nerve runs through the throat. So like mm-hmm. some of the things that you can do, whether it's for emotional regulation, just in your normal life or during sex is like making noise, you know, having your vocal cords vibrating, moaning, you know, emoting vocally, whichever way, um, you know, there's some thought to as to why some people and the vagus nerve is also connected straight to your genitals. There are some thoughts as to why some people really like blowjobs and can get off with a dick in their throat has to do with the vagus mm. nerve. And there's also some thought as to why people are really into choking and that feeling of a hand around the neck it's has chakras. to do with the vagus it's nerve. It's totally chakras. Yeah, I mean, honestly, me, my personal philosophy is like a lot and of I'm this like woo-woo stuff <laughs> and science are actually the same. We just haven't figured it out yet. But one thing I want to do, this is my dream, is I'm like, one day I want to get like a tattoo that goes like from my hip down to like just above my knee. Mm. And I think it's going to be the vagus nerve mm. with the Las Vegas sign saying <laughs> what happens in V-A-G-U-S <laughs> stays in Let's get matching yeah. tattoos. Well, I would al- love that. Yeah. It's also a big thing when it comes to abuse because your vagus nerve is a huge part um, of it. When you get oftentimes, so like there's the fight, flight, or freeze response, but there's also the fawn response, right? Right. Um, and the fawn response is a basically a conditioned response mm-hmm. um, through typically through years of abuse through complex trauma. Um, and so the vagus nerve has a lot to do with how we respond to abuse mm-hmm. um, and the impact that it has on us physically, you can get stuck kind of in a freeze and a fawn response. Um, and working out of that has a lot to do with like your vagus nerve and stimulating it and um, really, really like focusing on what's going on physically within you. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's like, you know, I, I encourage people to think about kink in this larger holistic nervous system mind body connection way because i really truly believe a lot of what we do and and mo- the vast majority of the time we don't even realize this is happening mm-hmm. but we are calming that mind body connection we are you know and i think i've talked about in episodes before and if i haven't i'll make one but we're completing the stress response cycle that is throwing you know our nervous system out of whack um 
And really, I, th- I encourage people to, to read more up on that, because once you start seeing all the pieces mm-hmm. and how they fit together, it's like, holy shit, we're like hacking our, you know, mind, body, brain, emotional connection through some really kinky, you know, fucked up, and I mean that in a good way, play, it, yeah. you know? Yeah. I, the way I just, the way that I like to talk about kink is the exploration of trauma in a, yes. an exploration of trauma in a um oh my gosh the word has left me in a safe space yes I, I, oh my god we have the same brain yes absolutely <laughs> yes and yeah i think it's one of those things i think i mentioned a little while ago you know once you see it you can't unsee it and yeah. when i started framing kink through this lens i was like oh my god yeah. oh my god oh my god i found the secrets to the universe so yeah, I, um yeah, I, I, one thing that I say too is like, um, almost all kink is like inducing some form of trauma, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but it's not necessarily traumatizing because, and I, I again, I have, I have a series because the whole reason I created my TikTok was to come at kink from a mental health perspective, since that's where my training is. Mm-hmm. Um, and I talk about how like there's a difference between be like experiencing trauma and being traumatized. Yes. Every single person experiences trauma. In, in some small way, shape, or form. But our perception of it is what either leads to traumatization or us not being traumatized. It's like two people can be in the same car accident. One person can walk away with PTSD and the other person can get over it and hop back in a car th- three seconds later. Yeah, yeah. It's so funny because I was just having a conversation, this same conversation with my kid who's 25 and like really into this. She's not eight. We were, I was having a conversation <laughs> with this about an eight, you know, with an eight year old. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's just fucking fascinating. And maybe that's just us because we geek out on this and the American fuckers listening are like, Vegas nerve psychology <laughs> trauma. Oh, what? Um, but th- this has been fucking amazing. Um, I loved this conversation. I think it's going to be helpful for a lot of people. So in closing, you know, let's let's get back to that abuse. Let's mm-hmm. let's let's say our closing words to the people listening who are maybe in those situations that have that subtle covert abuse and maybe they're just starting to be like, "Oh, the red flags are getting illuminated." What kind of resources or I don't know, words of encouragement do you have for folks in that situation? I think the first thing is um, trust your gut, trust your instinct. Um, don't your perspective, your perception of what happened is valid. Whether or not there's like it's all truthful, we we know that like you know sometimes we take things overly personal, but like there is truth within that perspective, mm-hmm. um, and to always trust that. Don't let people. Um, undermine your perception, undermine your feelings. Uh, and, you know, red flags are red flags, whether or not <laughs> so they're, they're, whatever your red flags are your red flags. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of resources. Um, the first one is if you are a person who has found yourself consistently getting into relationships with toxic people who become abusive, I really suggest doing um, leaning into attachment theory. It's something yes. that really, really helped me. It helped mm-hmm. me understand why I stayed in a four-year abusive relationship, why I responded the way I did in relationships, why I was willing to stay. Um, yeah. So li- look into that, lean into that. Also know that like your partner c- 
there's a possibility that they can change, but it does not mean you have to stay. You, yes. you do not owe someone time. If they have hurt you, you don't owe them anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and even if it's a, even if there's a ring, even if it's a marriage, even if you've been together 20 years, you do not owe anyone a relationship with you. Yes. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And if, if people are like attachment theory, what, uh, we, we talked about that with Ida Mandalay on episode 130 of American Sex Podcast. I'll put the link in the show notes, but I highly encourage, uh, the people listening that really dug this episode to go back and listen to episode 130 as well. Cause that's, that's illuminating. Uh, thank you. Oh, one other thing I just want to say <laughs> is I always encourage people, especially if they're practicing kink, or really a lot of our conversation applies to all humans, whether you're yeah. kinky or not. This, abuse this happens abuse. in all communities. Exactly. Um, but, you know, in the kink world, sometimes it's a little har- harder for us to spot abuse, especially if we're new, because we excuse it like, well, that's the way it's supposed to be, because it's kink, right? Um, get yourself some people to talk to if you don't have a therapist, or you don't have a therapist that is kink knowledgeable, which that's important. Um join you know whether it's like a a discord community whether it's you get Mm -hmm. some friends online whether it's you know when we can see people again you go to a munch or a social event where you find some people that are kinky that are just there to be your friends because then when you talk to them they can help point out like Mm -hmm. "Mm, are you sure about that sounds a little sketch you know, and they can alert you to things that maybe are just flying right over your head. So yeah. I always tell people it's really important to find some sort of community, even if it's like two people that you talk to online about what's going on in your personal life, because yeah. that outside perspective can be important. Very much so. Yeah. If it, my, my go-to rule, my go-to check is if it's going to be abusive in a, vil- a vanilla dynamic, it's probably abusive in a kink dynamic. Yes. Hell yes. Hell yes. Um, thank you. This has been freaking amazing and very much needed conversation, a very helpful conversation. So for people who are like, I like this Becca person, where can I get me some more Becca? Uh, where can we get us some more you? (laughs) So, uh, I am on TikTok. It's Becca Rose 91. Um, and I talk about those. I talk about a lot of those types of things. Um, I also am on Instagram. Um, my Instagram handle is plus the fuck up, you know, because I'm a fat babe who really <laughs> digs digs onto some fat positive representation. Uh, so plus that. the fuck up is my Instagram. Awesome. Thank you so much. This has been amazing. Becca and- Rose, thank you so much for being on the show. <laughs> <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> and I, I am bubbly. I'm just- I'm just going to put that out. I think that was before we started recording. <laughs> we had a little joke about her new, what your new burlesque name is going to be, Re- or Becca Rose, because Becca Ken Rose. thought of that. So, um, all right. Thank you. Well, maybe that's her wine what? club name. Wine maybe. club. Okay. Or, or Starbucks, even. You're, you're going to be, you're going to give me that, you're going to finance that startup? <laughs> <laughs> that, that would be kind of cool. Yeah. I think that's a good idea. Becca Rose. Oh, okay. okay. Anyway, thank you. 
Bye. Thank you. Bye. Thanks for listening to American Sex. To keep up with Ken and I, we'll first make sure you watch our TV show, Sex with Sunny Megatron, on Showtime. Then visit SunnyMegatron.com. There you can learn more about us, read our blog, peruse our workshop calendar, or hire us. For what? Well, either for private coaching, or to book us to teach at your event or university, or as sex and relationship writers for your publication. Oh, and don't forget, we're on social media, too. I'm the super social one, so you can find me as Sunny Megatron on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, my YouTube channel, and a bunch of other places. But if you want to get me on Snapchat, you got to look for Sunny underscore Megatron, and you can follow Ken on Twitter at at tag PsyChicken. That's P-S-Y-C-H-I-C-K-E-N. Also, please support us by shopping with the affiliates and sponsors from our breaks. And if you contribute to our Patreon, we're going to love you forever. Well, we're going to love you forever anyway, but just go with it. Lastly, if you like this broadcast, tell people about it. Tweet it, Facebook status it, and rate it on iTunes and other platforms. Thanks, friends. We'll see you next week on American Sex.